0: So, oh. it's, it's on. It's oh, okay. Um, can you hear me? Is it on? No. no. But you can hear me. I think it's actually better without uh, Can you hear me? Okay, over there. Okay. Yay. <laughs> decision is <that's> made. <laughs> They can't, really. um, if you happen to not be able to hear me, please um, just go like this, please, because I want you to be able to hear me. Um, I was just thinking when I walked in how uh, my criteria for how people are doing on a retreat is that they're still here. <laughs> <laughs> There are um, what uh, was shared with me when I first started practicing around nineteen seventy five. Um, Were that there were these preliminary practices, um, but they were they were kind of related to, as you know, kind of like (laughs) unimportant. And um, I would like to just go into the first one briefly. Uh, They're called the Four Guardian Meditations, and Guardian, of course, means that you're feeling protected. And when I first went to Burma and in the next years there I um, I found that the monks and nuns and lay people there took these practices very seriously it's like they weren't considered preliminary at all um, so um, the first one is reflecting on the virtues of the Buddha which I'm going to speak of again very briefly the second is um, I'm not going to do the right order yeah 32 parts of the body Uh, the third is uh, metta and the fourth is reflecting on death Um, and again I don't want to go into them too much but uh, if you think just about how you could relate to the metta as protective or reflecting on death as protective. And the 32 parts of the body is really um, looking at the body from the, the relationship of just seeing hair or just seeing bones or just seeing nails or just seeing pus or blood. It's a, it's kind of looking at the body uh, very differently than we tend to look at it. Uh, and if you look at these guardian meditations, uh the order is very interesting. So the first one is meant to be uplifting. The next one is supposed to be sobering. The third one is again meant to be uplifting, and the fourth is very sobering. <laughs> right? And that's—it's very interesting again how they're considered so protective. And. Um, To make a long story short, the first one was, a. there's a long list of the virtues of the Buddha and I always found that one uh, hard to feel inspired by. So there was a teacher in Burma that we met sort of later in the years that I was there that um, was was the happiest human being I've ever met. So we called them the Happy Seda. Uh, and he died last year so it was very um, big in a way for me because uh, of that happiness that you know that just to see that that's we all know that that's what the Buddha was teaching you know that there, he taught so that we could be very deeply happy well, the happiness and peace Uh and he just um, embodied this incredible uh, lightness of being but also a, a very strong seriousness of being he had them both uh, so in balance um, so when I told him, again, this is a longer story, but I told him that this particular uh, reflection I found hard to relate to, and so Uh, he told me that when he first moved to the area when he was again it's funny he was seven years old when he uh, was sent to this monastery and uh, he died I think about 98 Mm -hmm. years old Uh, and he first moved to this area when there was still tigers Mm -hmm. living there (laughs) with them and he built a pagoda when he got older he built a pagoda on the um, top of the ridge looking out on the Irrawaddy River where the sun rises, or the full moon rises, but when you go into his pagoda, you, you walk in, and actually you're drawn behind and there's a big space at the other side, and then these little steps that go out to this little door <laughs> and you open the door, and there's the happiest looking Buddha you've ever seen I mean, it's so funny like that he's this happy, and so you open the door, and he sat for years and years. His practice was sitting there, and he had his—he would have his mala and uh, a longer one, and um, he would look at the Buddha and see this beings, the, a human being. Seeing, he saw this being's worthiness to be fully happy and fully peaceful, worthy of that. And then he would close his eyes and feel that about himself. Years. And so he taught me that that how he did it is he'd hold one bead and he'd look at the Buddha and say, worthiness, and then he'd hold another bead and he'd feel his own worthiness. Years. Um, we don't always hear these stories. I mean, the second one he did, <laughs> he did so funny. He said that he just... Um, uh, would would see everyone as skeletons for years until he didn't even have to try, and like cats as skeletons, right? Like everything as skeletons. But then he'd switch it to Vipassana and just watch the skeleton <laughs> disappear, and he'd see the image come back of the of the visual image of the person. So these, you know, we don't again, we don't always hear these teachings, um, but remember they're considered protective. I think it's very important for us to know that the the actual image of the Buddha didn't come for four or five hundred years. There was no image. There was no visual image. It was just um, usually a footprint, just a footprint, or a seat under a tree. That's a long time. No image. And then the image that we see was based on the Greek god Apollo. Mm. <laughs> very, you know, it's very important to, to know this. Like, you know, mostly in those four or five hundred years, there would just be a, um, a tree with a seed in it, empty. Yeah, so, you know, it's like, so the sense of um, worthiness. Um, I think it's a very necessary strength at times to be able to fall back on when it gets difficult. And what I'm saying is it might not be a Buddha image that you might find that worthiness from. It could be the tree there, right? Like it doesn't have to be a Buddha image, but there's some way that we feel that strength and we feel that possibility in us in ourselves, deep within ourselves. Uh, when I told him that uh, I wasn't sure that teaching the 32 parts of the body is maybe the best thing for Westerners right away, <laughs> you know, blood, plus bones, you know, and all that, he just started laughing, and he said, no, when, when you get to metta, he would just start laughing and go, metta, he goes, then you do metta, and you He said, this is how you do (laughs) Menta. Right? The balance. ( Action) Not that many people uh, teach Menta this way. (laughs) He did. It's pretty happy. This is a, a quotation from that book on wildflowers by Thoreau, part of his journal. He said, the autumnal flowers, the forked blue curls, not only its bright blue flowers above the sand... But its strong wormwood, wormwood scent, which belongs to the season, feed my spirit, endear the earth to me, make me value myself and rejoice. Value yourself and rejoice. So that that's again a sense of like um, understanding that there's some spirit of value. Spirit of worthiness that is considered foundational at the least or protective at the least. And when we try to describe um, what mindfulness is or define what mindfulness is it's often interesting to see that we can take a very technical approach or a more poetic approach and they both can be useful and I think again there's that always that sense of the um, inspiring and sobering you know inspiring and sobering that's so important so there's a, a teacher named Srimadhargadada Maharaj uh, from India that is no longer alive uh, and he he said that um, it's affectionate awareness that brings reality into focus. It's so that's what that's a good definition of mindfulness. It's affectionate awareness that brings reality into focus. That's beautiful, right? It's so it's so balanced. He also said um, it's mindfulness is the intention to understand rather than to judge, which again, it's so beautiful, this intention to understand rather than to judge, and when we practice, there are so many things that get clear, but the thing that often gets the most clear is how, how good we are at judging and we're awesome you know it's just like pretty much almost every other moment there's a judgment there's a judgment so here's this it's the intention to understand rather than to judge so this doesn't mean we're trying to get rid of judgment but it's this ability to, sus- to not believe it to suspend the belief in the judgment it's just judging no problem but if you're believing them poof it's just this almost constant condemnation of reality um, growing up in my family my mother had this incredible phobia with snakes like um there's terror, and then there's a phobia. They're very different. A phobia is like off the charts terror. It, you know, it's it's a life or death, um, immediate, spontaneous like um, horror. Um, and my older sister seemed to inherit this phobia, and I I'm not sure what would have happened to me if I hadn't grown up with that. You know, because I was the youngest. And I I remember when I was really little, if I saw a snake, I still wasn't afraid of it. But I would hear their (laughs) screams (laughs) and horror. And, you know, it makes you wonder, right, when you're a little kid, like, what's going on? So I have a a fear, Uh, but nothing like they have, you know. Um, And um, my sister, a lot of stuff, but uh, she was... An alcoholic and chain chain smoker since she was eight years old. So, like when I was three years old, that's that's mm-hmm. what started for her. A very hard, hard life. Um, and um, recently, she was just about to die. Like she had two weeks to live, and the doctor said, "If you quit drinking, you could you could live." And um, She quit. (laughs) She just quit. (laughs) It was amazing. It was like watching a miracle in a way. But her body is in rough shape. Um, And so um, I visited her this past May after leaving Canada, uh, teaching in Canada, and coming to Massachusetts. Um, And as I was driving down to see her, I realized I really never knew. So, you know, that's pretty amazing, right? <laughs> I was, you know, three, so six, 64 years old, going down the her and it was like, wow, this is awesome, you know. And so we arranged. I never spent time with her, you know, so I, I arranged to um, uh, take her to this little coffee shop. She can't walk, so I, I went in and got the coffee, got the pastries. We went. We drove to this lookout uh, on the ocean. In, in Plymouth, Massachusetts right next to Plymouth Rock Um, so we were sitting there and it was so simple and so ordinary but so special in a way, like we, you know, we weren't talking about anything really specifically but we were just hanging out and very good for both of us Um, so you remember when I first started saying about the snakes the snake. Okay, so we're we're having this <laughs> easygoing <laughs> time, and out of the corner of my eye, I see this guy, <laughs> big guy, like uh, you know, no shirt on, coming down, and it's literally you. You, I don't know if you could ever see a bigger snake, and why, <laughs> like, and it was just. Not just static, it was like moving, you know, and it was not black which would have been better. It was like <laughs> coral color like, and it's huge. I mean, it's nice. it was, and, like I saw it first and my stomach just went, Oh no You know, like here here went our you know, like, you know reunion. <laughs> and she just screamed like a bloody murder. I mean, is that that's a phrase we all know, right? Just like this Screams and screams, and it's not just screams and screams, it's um, the windows down, right? And she's screaming out, This is a tourist area, she's screaming out, um, That man should be killed. That man <laughs> should be killed. And you know, it's just like uncontrollable, you know, and uh, so. Oh um, uh, <laughs> So, you know, he walked by, <laughs> and, uh, you know, she wasn't sure she wanted to stay there anymore, and I'm like, Sandy, he's yeah, he's gone, don't worry, and then she's like, <laughs> so I said, I'll go and check, and I'll check to see if he's gone, so I went down the street, the sidewalk, and I looked all around, and he was gone, so I thought, okay, <laughs> so I came back, and, you know, I knew she wasn't going to be like... All better, but I reassured her that I checked everywhere that was there, and so um, she still smokes, and I'm allergic to it. So she got out of the car, and she, you know, was leaning against the passenger door, you know, smoking, and I'm standing in front of her, and uh, <laughs> I don't know where he came from. <laughs> He's coming like, he's like right there. It wasn't like he was right at the bumper of the car. It was unbelievable. And, and I was trying to make it look like he wasn't there, you know, like, because she was, her back was swimming. And she, <laughs> I, went, I went like this. <laughs> she looked in my eyes and she saw the reflection. That did it. I mean, if there wasn't like, the screams are incredible like it's just so painful and like, she's so <laughs> upset <laughs> and it was like you know it was just unbelievable and then this, um, there were three older people coming down the sidewalk and this man came up to her and he said um, I'm really afraid of snakes too and she was so shocked she said really and really, she couldn't believe it. Really, and she said, "I'm so afraid of snakes. I was so afraid of that snake." And she's like, "Really?" And inside me, I was going, like, "Well, I've told her like I'm afraid of snakes. Right? <laughs> you never did anything, right, your sister?" Right? And she just was okay. I mean, she was still kind of shaky, but it was so interesting that she kind of got like, "Oh, it's okay." And she got connected, right? Huh. And it's like we see ourselves go through the stuff, right? We The stuff that's really hard to be with, if you look closely, it's that need for reassurance that it's okay to be really angry or okay to be anxious or okay to need reassurance. Whatever it is, you know, right? The fear of death. But whatever it is that's hard for us, that's that just that simplicity of acceptance. It's okay. And this is a quality of mindfulness. It's just this is mindfulness. This is its ability to recognize that it's fear and then to recognize that it's okay. Huge. aspect of the mindfulness is that um, as we've been saying each moment is different, it's like that's why we can change, right, we don't have to say stuff, this newborn <coughs> newborn moments, newborn moments, newborn moments and so that um, just reminding us that the, the soft readiness is another definition of mindfulness, that ability to have that um, just strength, it's a strength of the vulnerability of connecting with the truth that anything can happen. You know that was it was an amazing experience to go from that idyllic reunion to her worst fear. you know it's like this this is how things can happen. yeah you know, it can happen that fast um, And that soft readiness is so powerful. Uh, there was a point in time when the artist Emily Carr uh, wrote a book called The Book of Small. Uh, and it was about her childhood in the forest um, outside of Victoria, British Columbia. So, again, this is written from a child's point of view. There was much to see as we went up the river, and we went slowly because there were so many things to get over and under. Sometimes there were little rims of muddy beach hopped with a dent of deer hooves. Except for the stream, the place was very quiet. It was like the stillness of a bird held in the hand with just its heart throbbing. That's mindfulness. That's how delicate you, each moment is like holding a little bird in your hand and feeling its heart throbbing. It takes that kind of quiet and hush, and you could have be near a highway and have that hush inside and just that delicacy of paying attention. So that sense of that newborn moment. It's, it's that delicate. That's why this is hard. It's not like we're telling you to take a hatchet and just, you know, crush the next moment. It's not like that. <laughs> we do that. But it's not, that's not <laughs> mindfulness, that's aversion. <laughs> um, so that, like, when you start entering in that world of, that delicacy and you, I think sometimes when you do the slow walking you can really feel that just that and you might be under a white pine tree or a red pine and just that sense of that that, that it's really hard to put into mind. In fact I another definition I like that I have used a lot is this wordless gentleness. It's wordless ultimately. So, it uh, He didn't hear you. Wordless gentleness. Wordless gentleness. Uh, wordless, gentleness. Okay. wordless gentleness. Thank you. I want you to hear. Yeah. So, there's an aspect of mindfulness um, when we're practicing that um, is really meant to be a factor of an awakening investigation. And, investigation is something that when we can actually bring our attention to our experience, that the willingness not to know, we mentioned this, but this willingness not to know, which is the wordlessness and the gentleness, that is required actually to be present, fully present. So these are depths of layers of, of awakeness. Now, we might be really tired and the willingness not to know would not even occur to us, right? We're, it's just like, oh, we're in a big fog. But I'm saying that when there's a chance to kind of be more present, it, it requires, rather than thinking, I know what this table is. And my favorite example of this is when my um, youngest nephew was learning to talk. And... Um, It was so humiliating for him to show that he didn't know what the word was for something. It was so painful for him to learn to talk. And he was very, with me, he was very transparent about it. So he'd come up to me and say, Auntie Michelle, you know, what's this? (laughs) And I would say, oh, Tony, that's a bell. And he'd say, I know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so I'm like, oh boy, this is how we're going to learn to talk It's going to be a long haul <laughs> <laughs> like, Every time it was like, what's this Auntie Michelle? A rug, I know that, I already know that But that's what we're doing We're like, we already know So we're not going to pay attention and that's, that's what's so tragic about our, our training. Our training is to go, oh, that's a tree. That's the Big Dipper. This is Michelle. You know, it's like, but do we really take the time to view this any moment? Anger, happiness, whatever it is, it's like that willingness to not just have the word and to allows, allow the moment to reveal itself. And that's what takes this kind of delicacy. So you're making the time, you make the space. If there's a sensation in your knee, or sensations, you make the space for it to reveal itself. So it's not just a slam dunk, you know, like a basketball poop. You know, you're, you're, if, there's, if it calls your attention, you don't have to be in a hurry. You, you, go, you let the attention notice around it you can go inside it it's an exploration this is, this is the beauty of the mindfulness it's that pure exploration and this is um, humbling because we start to see that the words make us feel safe and comfortable and familiar and when we're willing not to know we, we let go of that whole structure of safety that's why it's hard it sounds good right I mean who wouldn't want this it sounds great but then to actually do it why is it hard <laughs> so it's a um, it's a total letting go of control you let go of the past completely because the word is a memory It's just a memory. It has nothing to do with the present in and of the direct experience. So I can say this is a me, but it really means very little except to have an agreement about what we might call this visual image. But it has nothing to do with my direct experience in the moment. So the word, the concept is dead, the direct experience is alive. There's a um, fairy tale called The Golden Key by jo- uh, George MacDonald. And um, it's a longer story that I can say right now, but this little boy found, finds this golden key... At the end of a rainbow in the forest, uh, and he runs back to his great aunt, and he asks her what it's for, and uh, she says it's a lucky, lucky person who finds the golden key, but she doesn't know where. You know, she knows he has to. You've got to go on a long journey, right? It's a, it's a spiritual journey, and eventually he runs into this young girl, Tangle his name is Mossy and her name is Tangle, And it, they go through all these different experiences. Um, and then they get separated. So she goes on her, uh, her own way. He goes on his way. Um, and they, they have to meet different people, like the old man of the sea, the old man of the earth, and eventually the old man of the fire, who's the oldest man of all, but he's actually a young man the young child um, so there's it's a very beautiful Alador, uh and when she meets the old man of the earth um, she asks him the way for each person they <coughs> meet they have to ask the way and so he brings her to this um, door and uh, he opens the door for her and she looks down and she said but there's no stairs and he said that's the way And so that is an aspect of this where it's like we want to have that security blanket of something where we don't have to totally let go of the past and totally let go of the future. But we know that's the present moment. How could it not be? That's life. It's alive. Uh, We're not saying you do that all day, (laughs) right? That would be hard to pull off initially. But there is that sense that you've taken this precious time to be here, and there are times when you're going to have it to do. It. All it takes is courage, and it, it's like that. It's just you jump down the steps that aren't there. You hope, you know, you hope you're going to land somewhere, but we always do. So that's. Um, Another way to say that is you jump into the unknown. It's a leap. It's a leap into the unknown and then it's the next moment. And it's a sound. It's a sight. It's a smell. It's a taste. It's a, or it's a thought. It's an emotion. It's something, of life, that's moving along. The stream of change. We, we like these metaphors. The opening of a flower, the stream, jumping in the stream. Um, but it's hard sometimes to actually do it. One of the things I notice on a retreat for myself that is, you know, when I know there has been that complete letting go, I feel like I've never been mindful before. And it's, it's so interesting. It's always looking back, but I'll look back and go, wow never felt mindful before, and then I know I've been mindful. I recognize it now as this place of like, oh, I really let go. And it might happen once, but boy, it's worth it. It's refreshing, as they mm-hmm. so would say. <laughs> hmm. And I'm, I'm going to be going back and forth. I hope you... Here between more poetic or more technical this is maybe the most poetic you could hear but this is from a book by William Faulkner um, and he's talking about a young woman who was left home um, and she's in a cart uh, led by a horse and he said it's, it was as if she was listening to something very far away or so near as to be inside her <laughs> this is the paradox and this is the, the paradox is meant to stop the mind it just it's the stopping of the mind and how could you this is the most beautiful is to get that sense when you have this quiet it's a quiet inside it doesn't matter what the sounds are outside but it's this quiet inside where it's this interest a genuine interest in what life is and who we are. It's as as if (laughs) she were listening to something very far away or so near as to be inside her. When you're listening for that feeling of the movement of the breath or really receiving a sound or really taking a step, that's what this feels like. In other words, you're accessing timelessness and you're breaking down any sense of inside or outside. You might even call that a reverent attention. into the more uh, more technical years ago I came up with a -A R-A-I-N RAIN for a description of a more technical aspect of mindfulness but then recently I added drop (laughs) 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 which is kind of fun Uh, in that um, it's like the opposites. The drop is the opposites. So R-A-I-N is recognition, acceptance, interest, non-identification. When those four are present, we're really protected. We're really safe. And there's peace. <laughs> when there's all four of the drop <laughs> it's <laughs> deluded, resistant oblivious and personifying you know, taking things personally, and of course I'm going to go through these, but it's like the drop, the delusion, the resistance the obliviousness and the personification they're all just defenses what are they defending us against this change of pleasant unpleasant and neutral we would prefer it to be all pleasant, but this—that this that is this unpredictable change. When you're, you know, it's the human predicament. The aversion and attachment are the only defense we have against this change, unless there's the presence of mindfulness or metta. So you don't try to de- demonize the defense. In fact, you learn to um, have a very Deep gratitude, incredible gratitude for them, because that's all we have as humans to protect us. Unless there's mindfulness, or loving kindness, or compassion, so you get more and more gratitude, and then your system starts to feel safer and safer because your system knows what—that you're not going to try to rip the petals open when we you know, when you try to investigate what's happening through trying to get something, which is ripping the pedals open, or get rid of something, which is ripping the pedals open your system's just going to go <laughs> I gotta protect you, I'm shutting down, right it's going gonna, it's gonna to protect you because your system is smarter than you, your system knows you're striving your system knows you're trying to get rid of something and, you know, you might have this pain, you know, karmic knot somewhere in the body that, you know, you feel like it's still there, right? You can hear that poisonous disdain for the word still. I have that. that's it. I'm still experiencing the sadness. And I did 40 years of therapy, you know, 20 <laughs> retreats, and it's, still here. <laughs> and your sister's going, huh? So, uh oh. Here she goes again. She's gonna get the uh, you know the, the digging thing out. You know, it's gonna try she's gonna try to dig it out that projector. And this is so important. <laughs> is there a cricket? <laughs> so um This is the most important thing to learn, that you can't investigate through the filter of aversion and attachment. Better to move away, and that's why we develop an anchor. We develop an anchor so that when you see that you're about to attack something, uh, move away from it. And that line between being mindful (laughs) and uh, aversion and attachment can be very thin for anything with chronic pain. Any chronic physical pain, any chronic mental pain, or any chronic emotional pain. We have to be so careful to check it out, but then leave. Not not lost in a fantasy, but leave meaning... Learn to find neutral places in your body or neutral sounds, anything, to ground. And that idea is that you move away, you rest the attention enough to get the courage to check it out again. And that that might be a whole day, or it could be two hours later. It takes a lot of patience. This, and and uh, I learned. Uh, that mindfulness of impatience is much more the practice of patience. Meaning, you're going to see a lot more impatience than you're going to see patience, And then you have to learn how to be okay with the impatience. <coughs> so our recognition... Uh, one of the reasons I love the lineage that I uh, immerse myself in, the Mahasi Sayadaw lineage, is from this recognition part. It's that soft mental note. It's not meant to be a loud command. It's not meant to be a military exercise. Lifting, moving, placing, lifting, moving, placing, thinking. You know, that becomes a military a command. Fear. You know, it's not meant to be that. It's meant to be the very lightest whisper in the mind so that when you get to a door you notice reaching. You might know reaching. And then you stand a chance to be with the reaching. Or you might recognize anger and instead of going, Oh no, not that again it's like, Oh, my good friend anger it might not be I was hoping you'd come up right now because you know I need more practice (laughs) right we all need much more practice with it but we don't think we do somehow (laughs) it's so funny so recognition hearing And it's really, you have to have some humor with this. You can walk down the road and not hear anything the whole time. And then you might hear something and go, I'd like to go, duh, thinking, hearing. I mean, it's like, where were you? Not here. Ha 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 ha. Right? You have to have humor with it. But that recognition is 50% of this battle to be here. It's huge. Eating. You know? chewing. Wow, I thought it's kind of good. I caught one moment of chewing before the meal ended. Right? This is what we are up against. It's it's incredible, and it has to have this ability to go. Oh, I mean, how many times do we go? Oh, thank you, trillions. And it's not meant to be anything but helping us feel it rising. the foot touching the ground touching 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 it's a nice feeling or some equivalent that might help us just be there and if it's getting too loud you drop it but you bring it in particularly if you're tired if you're spacing out making soft mental notes really helps if you're really present you don't need it it's going to get in the way the words—if you were doing <laughs> rising, falling, and you're really there—it's gonna, it's actually gonna break. It's gonna be like putting on a break You don't need it. Uh, but when we don't need it and the practice is effortless, it's great, right? It's when it, it's when the energy drops and we're back to like uh, spacing out. We don't really want to go back to making a soft mental because we liked it when we didn't need to (laughs) it's just that we're attached to that effortless nice stuff right humbling and acceptance um, the the story of the state was meant to be the description of the difference between resistance and acceptance oh it's okay to be afraid and how painful it is when it isn't okay, or uh, tightness. I mean, you can't sit this many days without finding some tightness in the body, right? It's just tightness. But we t- that resistance to it. Ah, oh, it's so hard. It makes it tighter and tighter and tighter. And usually at that point, I'm just inside. I'm going. I've, again, I'll tend to make it funny. I'll be like, tight, 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 tight. <laughs> wow, it's tight. It's just tight. <laughs> it's okay. It's just tight. But that feeling of like, whoa, I don't know. if It's like the frustration that that young man had. You know, I don't know, but I'm noting it <laughs> it's so good. Yeah? And when it's not okay, you head for that hills move to somewhere neutral. This is the, the beauty of this. You don't have to be with it. Move away from it. Find a bigger space. There are many places in the body that aren't in agony when you are <laughs> in agony. And you ground there. Interest. You can't fake it. You can't make it happen. When there's enough energy, it happens and you just just put in your time. Uh, This is not just, again, it's not just interested in the beautiful or interested in the pleasant. This interest means you're breaking the pleasure-pain syndrome. The Buddha called it joyful interest. It's joyful because you've overcome the pleasure-pain syndrome. So you can be as interested in fear as your favorite bird song and you, you feel it, you know it when it happens, it's like something shifts and all of a sudden you're, you're interested in tightness and it feels like a huge achievement and we get glimpses of this, this isn't like something, I'm not saying this last 24-7 you know, it, you get a glimpse and it's like oh wow that's for you And I think also we start to understand, I mean, it took me a long time to understand this, but I started to really get that interest was possible when there was enough energy. And as Jesse was saying last night, the energy is very impersonal. There's low energy, there's high energy, there's medium energy. But you start to see that you can squander your energy on retreat. And that, you start kind of cleaning up your act over time gradually, where you start seeing that you don't have to squander as much. Like, you know, and it takes time to learn that if you're um, writing the great novel (laughs) that you want to write, and, you know, it's been a half an hour and you're sitting there, you're kind of getting lost, right? You're you're using up the energy uh, in a way that it's not like that creativity is bad or wrong. But it's going. It's um. It's like the energy builds on a retreat, like a balloon, and that energy is meant to help us then be here more, more fully. Be here more fully. But that energy building means that we have this possibility of going into unknown territory. But it's so um, unfamiliar to us. We start doing familiar things to get normal again, right? And uh, it takes time to learn that. You might you might squander it five times, and uh, there might be a time when you get, oh, I don't have to do that. You know, there was a um, movie that came out early. I think it was early this year. It was a new Peanuts movie. I'm a little embarrassed to say how much I liked it, but I really <laughs> liked it. And uh, if you like Snoopy, it's an awesome movie. And the, the reason why I thought it was so good is that, you know, it's a movie, right? It's a, It's not. It's not... It's not nonfiction. It's not a documentary. <laughs> it's a <laughs> movie, right? But, but inside the movie, uh, Snoopy starts fantasizing about like um, his perfect relationship. <laughs> Plus, he's like saving the world during World, world War One, <laughs> right? He's fighting the br- <laughs> Red Baron. But it's done so well. It's like, you know, you can sit there and have a fantasy and you can save the world, have the best relationship, right? Like the and the best career, right? You can do that. But they did that for Snoopy in the movie. And as the movie went on, he was getting caught in it more and more. Like and then he'd come back to reality and he'd start crying. <laughs> 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 and unabashedly. Like he would just throw himself on the ground and oh, cry. I and cry it was, it was so funny like it was so well done because it, while you were watching it you would even forget that you he was in a fantasy and that you were just back to the movie it wasn't like you were back to reality but I've never seen like such an incredible this, you know, beautiful visual description of how we get lost in fantasy, and then how painful mm-hmm. it is when you're back with, you know, yourself. <laughs> 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 and so we have to also get that even with fantasy, it's a defense against our longing. We want to save the world, you know, we want the best relationship. It's that to be able to actually come to and not demonize it and appreciate that longing but realize that the fantasy is just a fantasy right it's a defense it's the the most amazing defense but it's a defense so so it's do you hear this it's like the recognition oh fantasy the acceptance not the hatred of it or the um, going back into it as an enjoyment like getting that you don't have to repress it, you don't have to indulge it, that you can have this intention to understand it or compassion. For me, over years, it was like a gradual um, process with that. Where, you know, it's just like if you judge it and hate it, it has more power. If you keep indulging it to the point where you're never <laughs> here, it's a problem, right? And so it's like learning how to get underneath it and see what the gasoline is that's fueling it and to be interested in what's deeper, which is that longing. And as Jesse was saying last night, this is what the Buddha said. It's the suffering that ends suffering. And it's kind of like sometimes we're like Snoopy It just starts crying. <laughs> 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 it's so cute. I mean, it's like, wow. <laughs> the love of his wife gone again, and, you know, it's totally you know totally unreal. it's great uh, so well done. <laughs> this is not a, a commercial for that. Come right? <laughs> <laughs> morning, <Tomorrow laughs> it's Arm <dormant>, talk. <huh? laughs> You know, there's something about it like that, you know, nobody sounds like that in the hall. But you know people. <laughs> <laughs> You think the person next to you is having the peak experience of their life, but actually they've just fallen out of fancy and they're just crying, right? Like it's like they are they are having the peak experience and we have to be so respectful and quiet, right? Like it's like Everybody goes through different spaces at different times. And it's like remembering that if we're feeling like, you know, King Kong walking around, then the person next to you might be needing total delicate reverence. And that at some point you might be needing that delicate reverence, and that person might be acting like King Kong. And it's like as you get quieter, you start realizing this. that everybody needs to have (laughs) that respect and space, that reverent attention. And then non-identification means that we're not taking experience personally. And the, the idea with this is to really start to explore what identification feels like. So identification is the personification and we're back to why I love the Mahasi method so much. Because when you say hearing that recognition, the instruction is not to say I am hearing, right, right. or I am reaching, or I am afraid, or I am walking. It's hearing, right, or it's fear, or it's just reaching, and um, that's so beautiful. It's, it's it's cutting through that idea. of mine, mine, me, me, or yours. It's, it's just that very light, um, even if we don't understand it, we say it. Rising, not my breath. Lifting, not I am walking. And again, it's a, it, it's meant to be an exploration of what it feels like when you're really triggered. You really get a sense of like it's whatever it is. It's like oh. Oh. my anger, Oh You you get to see that feeling of total separation. And you know when there's unconditional love, there's no feeling of separation at all. That's what love feels like. personification, or identification also has that um, this belief it's the belief that we can control and it's very related to doubt because when we believe we can control, then it's our fault that we can't control how things are and this is very important for us to see that it's when we're believing that we could have controlled something <laughs> Um, that we have huge doubt. It's our fault, you know, or it's somebody's fault. <laughs> it can be Mother Mary's fault, right? Like we can we can project it onto it anybody. <laughs> so it's it, it's that um, again, watching and observing how that mind feels versus when it isn't present. How wonderful it feels when it isn't present. This is a, a question that was asked to Sreena Zargadada. Pain is not acceptable. And he answered, Why not? That could be that could be enough, right? Why not? But he said, Did you ever try? Do try, and you will find in pain a joy which pleasure cannot yield for the simple reason that acceptance of pain takes you much deeper than pleasure does. This is important. No other reason than that acceptance of pain takes us much deeper than pleasure does. This is like being given all the gold in the world. The personal self, by its very nature, is constantly pursuing pleasure and avoiding pain. The ending of this pattern is the ending of the self. I've known um, this person in the Big Island for a while, and he's a little older than me. And um, he kind of flirts with Vokasna. You know, he once in a while shows up, and uh, he um, his partner of twenty six years left him, and uh, he went he went really down. And uh, I knew he was going to come to a, a Sunday sitting, and I read this for him. And um, he couldn't believe I read it actually because this is powerful right and I knew he was flirting and and so this is so deep and and he was in such an open hurt place and he looked at me and he went (laughs) and then he looked up and he went right that's what I've been avoiding So let's sit for a minute. So it's time for walking thank you for listening to learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma seed please visit dharrmaed.org slash donate